to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm in the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us, and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. All summer long, we are preaching through the Psalms. We've been doing this for three summers together now. And we are doing this because the Psalms, the church fathers said, was the church, was the preventative medicine for the church. And as your pastor, I can say that in counseling together with many of you, Eight times out of ten, we end up in a psalm together. Because the psalms become for us the rallying cry amidst our joys, 
I mean, Adam and Jamie Stadley were able to use the Psalms as they welcomed Augustus into their family this week. Children are a heritage from the Lord, Psalm 127. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, Psalm 103. There's amazing times of joy that we get from the Psalter. They become our cries. And there are also times of great pain. More than one of us have moms that have cancer right now. And it reminds me of the place in 2 Chronicles 20 when King Jehoshaphat gathered all of Israel together. And he gathered them together not to celebrate, but to lament. And he gathered all of Israel together, it says in 2 Chronicles 20, to cry out to the Lord because of their great need. And here in Psalm 44, we have another one of the laments of the Psalms. The vast majority of the first half of the Psalms are laments. Scattered amongst them are a few praises. And then the vast majority of the second half of the Psalms are praises. And scattered among them are a few laments. And here in Psalm 44, we have a lament. And it begs us to ask the question, what do we do when we feel like God has abandoned us? What has God done? Where has he gone? Have you ever wondered that? What do you do when you feel like God has abandoned you? Let's look at the psalm together and see if we can learn from Christ as he speaks to us through it. The first thing Psalm 44 teaches us, the principle of the whole text, is that you should pray to God with uncensored hearts because he knows your secrets. He delights in you. He has delivered you and he is driving his promises deep into you. Friends, you should pray to your father with uncensored hearts. Psalm 44, listen to how it ends. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Get up out of your bed, out of your chambers, and help us. Rise up. Come to our help. It's like, it's like it's a mother crying out to her teenage son. Get up. It's noon. Where are you? Come on. Psalm 78 doesn't end that way, does it? Psalm 78 has the same refrain, but then it goes on. In Psalm 78, the psalmist continues, and it says, Then the Lord awoke from his sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout, and he put them to everlasting shame. And with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. But Psalm 44 does not end that way. It ends with, Wake up, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love period. End of poem. Do you pray to your father with an uncensored heart? Do you know what it's like, parents, whenever your children, oftentimes you know what your children are feeling whenever they're going through fears or they're going through a difficult time. And Teenagers, your parents want nothing more than for you to talk to them because they remember what it's like to be a teenager. I mean, something happens when, when we turn 13 or 14 and all of a sudden our parents, who are God's gift to us, seem to become like our arch enemies 
and we give them the silent treatment for like four years. And it's hard. And parents, you know what it's like when you long for your children just to talk to you because you remember what it's like to be a teenager. When I was growing up in North Texas, there was a place in my childhood bedroom where there, one night I didn't know how to communicate with my father. He knew what I was thinking. I wanted to talk to him, but I didn't because I didn't like him. And I was so frustrated with him that I went into my bedroom and with everything I had, I hit my wall. And there was a fist mark in my bedroom, still to this day, in that exact spot that my father said, I'm going to leave that there so that one of these days when you're older, you'll remember what it was like to be a teenager. And when you're a parent, you will remember that I too went through the pains of being a parent. And sometimes, parents, don't you just long for your children to tell you what they're thinking? The Lord is the same way towards you. It says in verse 21 that he knows your secrets. Show me someone who is afraid to talk to God with an uncensored heart, and I'll show you someone who does not know the love of God. You do not have to censor your thoughts or your hearts before the Lord. In fact, sometimes for some of you, you have never been angry with the Lord, and that actually may be the very thing that's preventing you from understanding the grace of God from being able to say, oh Lord, you have been with our fathers. You have been with me. You've changed my life. But where are you now? Our enemies rout us. Our foes consume us. We are in despair. Wake up, oh God. Any of you like westerns? Old John Wayne westerns? There's, a, there's an old, I see one hand, thank you. There's an, old, there's an old western in 1972 called Cowboys. Have you ever seen this movie? It's old John Wayne. It's a le one of the lesser known westerns. And he plays the role of a character named Bob Anderson, who Bob Anderson brings these young teenage boys to help his cattle drive go across uh, the country. And there's uh, this one scene in the movie, there's a great river and they cross and all these boys are crossing the river. And there's a young man there named Bob Wilson who has a stuttering problem. And he can't communicate very well. And Bob Wilson is in charge of these other boys. And, they go through the river, and one of the boys falls off of his horse and is choking to death on the, on the reins of this horse, and he's about to drown as he gets tied up. And Bob Wilson, because he has a stuttering problem, can't cry out to Mr. Anderson, John Wayne, who's already across the river leading the cattle. And so another boy comes in and says, Mr. Anderson, help! And so Mr. Anderson comes to the river and pulls this boy out. And when they gather around the bank of the river... Bob Anderson rips in to this young boy named Bob Wilson and says, Bob, I put you in charge of these boys, and the moment that they needed you most, you didn't cry out to me. Why? And Bob Wilson, with his stuttering lips, says, well, I couldn't, sir. I, I, didn't, I, I, I couldn't get the words out. And he says, you're a liar. You can get the words out. And he says, no, 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 I can't. I, I, was, I, was, I was afraid to call out to you. And he says, you need to go home. You're worthless. If you can't speak to me, what good are you to me? And he says, well, no, sir, I don't want to go home. And he pours into this young boy, and he gets this young boy so riled up that the stuttering boy, all through the first half of the movie, it's awkward to hear how bad his stuttering is. He says to Mr. Anderson, you no good cowboy. 
You're the meanest man I've ever met. And John Wayne looks at him and he says, what did you say to me, son? He says, you're a no good rancher. I hate you. You've left us all out here to die. And John Wayne pours into him and says, what did you say to me, boy? He says, you no good rancher, I hate you. You've left us out here to die. And John Wayne gets to this boy's face and he says, I wouldn't make it a habit of speaking to me that way. And he turns away and he walks off. And there's this little boy, the stuttering leader, who says, I did it. I did it. Did you hear me? I didn't stutter. And the rest of the movie, Bob Wilson has perfect cadence in speech. And as I read this psalm for myself, quite frankly, what I read it is a stuttering boy who comes before Jesus and sometimes is afraid to pray what he really feels. And it says, the Lord says to me, oh, Blake, say it. Because I already know, verse 21, I already know the secrets of your heart. If you can't learn to say what you think, you do not know my love. Because my love for you always extends the, outside the bounds of your confusion at your present circumstances. God wants us to pray to him with uncensored hearts. Why? Because he already knows the secrets of our hearts. Because he wants to remind you yet again that he loves you more than you could ever fathom or imagine. He wants you to be able to be honest in your prayer life. And so he gives us psalms like this in Psalm 44. Notice how this, uh, the sons of Korah pray here. It says, you have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten our spoil. In other words, we've been robbed. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. You have set us up to be murdered. You have scattered us among the nations. You've made us homeless. You have sold us for a pittance. You didn't even negotiate for us. You practically gave us away. It seems like you have made us the laughingstock. Everybody is making fun of us. You've made us a byword among the nations. You've cut our reputation out from under us. All day long, we live with our disgrace before us. Yes, the Lord says, you're speaking to me as you should, because this is how you feel. Jesus himself had the ability to pray the same, didn't he? Jesus Christ prayed this psalm, you have made me turn back from my foe in the presence of the Romans. They have made me a laughing stock as they spit and punched and crucified me before the world. My naked shame was before the world. I had no righteousness with which to cover myself because Christ took on the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. It was Christ who was made the taunt of his neighbor, who was made the derision and scorn of those around him, who was made a byword among the nations. Ha! If he's the son of God, let him save himself. Oh, friends, oh, Trinity, let us learn to pray with uncensored hearts because he knows our secrets. Show me somebody who is afraid to pray to the Lord with an uncensored heart, and I'll show you somebody who does not yet know the love of God. His love always extends beyond the bounds of your feelings. Second, we pray with uncensored hearts, not only because he knows our secrets, but we pray because he delights in us. Notice what the text says. It says in verse 3, 
Put your right arm and your right hand and your arm in the light of your face, delivered them, for you delighted in them. The psalmist is looking back at the way God has worked in the lives of his fathers, how Christ delighted in them. And then he goes on through verse 4 down through verse 9, and he says, You have delighted in us. You are my king and my God. Through you we push down our foes. And not in my bow do I trust, nor in my sword can I be saved, but you have saved us from our foes. You have put those who hate us to shame. God's saints are very dear to his heart. And if there's one thing that the elders of this church want you to know and know well, it's that you are dear to the heart of your Savior. In Malachi chapter 3, listen to the way God views you. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. In other words, the Lord, he treasured up their thoughts. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves them. I will make them my treasure, my jewels. Listen, you are the jewels of Christ. You are his treasured possession, people. You are his. Not only in Malachi does he say that, but in Zechariah he says that you are the apple of his eye. That just as a husband gloats and boasts in his wife on their anniversary week, so also your Savior boasts in you. Look at my people. Look at Sally. Look at Shane. Look at John. Look at how I am at work in their life. He brags to you among the angels and how much he loves you. It says in Proverbs 15, 8, that our service is precious to him, that our voice in Song of Solomon 2, 14 is precious to him, that our tears are precious. He bottles them up and collects them in Psalm 56, 8 and in Luke 10, 20. Our thoughts are precious to him. Our blood, Psalms 116, 15, is precious to him. Friends, cry out to him with an uncensored heart because he knows your secrets and he delights in you. He sings over you with his love. And not only that, but he has delivered you. The first part of the psalm is a recounting of all of Israel's history. In Genesis, God's fidelity to the patriarchs. In Exodus, God's fidelity to his people to bring them out of bondage. Throughout the Torah, God's continued faithfulness to his covenant people. In the wisdom literature, God appeals to the moral lessons of history to help us look more and more like him. Do you pray, oh friends, do you pray with uncensored hearts? He knows your secrets. He delights in you. He has delivered you. Show me someone who's afraid to pray to the Lord with an uncensored heart, and I'll show you someone who does not yet know the love of God. He wants us to pray with uncensored hearts because he wants to drive his promises deep. The psalm ends in a very scary way. It seems that the Lord is asleep. Do you feel like the Lord's asleep? That he's abandoned you? Then this psalm becomes your psalm. And I challenge you, O people of God, to take Psalm 44 this week and to pray it yourself. 
and to say, oh Lord, awake. Why have you given my family members this illness? Awake, oh Lord. Why is my job so difficult right now? Awake, O oh Lord, and deliver me. Provide for my family because we are trying to make every dollar stretch. O oh Lord, protect me. Give me sexual integrity, O oh Lord. Help me to struggle over my sins, O oh my Father. Help me to love my bride, to honor and to love my husband. Help me to be a good parent when I think it is so hard to be a good parent. These are the cries of our hearts. Let them be. When someone is bleeding, you apply pressure. And when someone is suffering, God applies pressure to us to drive his promises in us deep. A couple of years ago, to one more quick story and then I'll close. A couple of years ago, I experienced something that I've been thinking about frequently ever since. That I, I rode uh, in a race in Texas, 100 miles on a bike with my brother. And now you need to know that my brother is a very good bike rider. And we had the wind at our backs on the way out in the hot Texas wind. But on the way in to finish the race, we had the wind in our face. And it was hard. I couldn't see the wind, but I could feel it. And the cadence of my pedaling hadn't changed. I was taking in fluids the same way I had on the way out but the circumstances totally changed. Sometimes you do the same things you always have done, but your circumstances completely change, even though you've done nothing different. Your spiritual practices, your patterns, your habits are identical to what they were months before when you experienced times of prosperity and times of peace. And you wonder, why, Lord, why have you changed things so much? And as we're riding back into the hot Texas wind, a group of guys that were in a bike club from Dallas came behind me as I was drafting. I couldn't see my brother. I, did, I couldn't look up. I was so tired. I just saw his will, wheel right in front of mine, and I stuck to it. And I drafted behind my brother. And sure enough, these guys from Dallas pulled behind me, and they were drafting behind me. And before long, there was a line of like 40 people. And they were all drafting behind my big 6'2", powerful-legged, excellent bike riding brother. And some of the guys behind me said, who's leading? And I said, my brother. Follow my brother. And these guys behind me, I didn't even know, were saying, go big brother. We're following you. And we followed my brother through the hot August Texas wind all the way home, almost 50 miles, he pulled us all the way through the heat. And they cried out to him, we're following you, big brother. Go, big brother. Go. And it's like Jesus sometimes presses in on you. You don't change your patterns or your habits or behaviors. You're doing the exact same thing. But your circumstances change. Why? Because he wants you to call out to him. And he wants you to know that Jesus isn't riding next to you like he was maybe only months ago. But your Savior's pulled out in front of you so that you can follow his wheel and you can draft behind him because he is carrying the, the wind for you. He has conquered your foes of sin and death for you. Friends, on the cross, he began that draft for you. When he was scorned and mocked and ridiculed for you, when he was spit upon and beaten, when he was like a sheep to be slaughtered, he did not open his mouth. Your Savior is taking the heat of the wind for you. 
And you are to get on his wheel. You look to your right and to your left and you say, why have you abandoned me? And it's like, oh, friend, my steadfast love endures forever. Don't you know Psalm 121? Lift your eyes up to the hills. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord never slumbers or sleeps. He never folds his hands to rest. Your Savior is pulled in front of you and is carrying you in his draft. And it's our job to pray to him. I'm following you, big brother. And to cry out to him with an uncensored heart and all of the pain and all of your peddling. 400 years ago, there was a man named Thomas Brooks who preached a sermon on this psalm in 1648. And Thomas Brooks gives some, on the day after Christmas in 1448, he preaches before the British House of Commons and he gave some encouragement to them. He says, brothers, sometimes you will do the same thing you've always done. And it seems as though your docket gets thicker and the country is against you and the tone changes. But he says to them, I want you to know something. I want you to consider that all the afflictions and all the troubles that you meet with shall never hurt nor harm you, but be very advantageous to you. Now to him, now to, who is there who can harm you if you are zealous to do what is good? First Peter chapter 3. No power of hell nor scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand, Thomas Brooks preached before the House of Commons. Devils or men, let them roar and rage. None shall harm you. All the afflictions and the troubles and pain shall in fact be advantageous for you. For they shall be a means by which God will convey more of his grace and mercy and more of himself and his glory. And therefore, behold, I will allure her, Hosea says. I will bring her into the wilderness so that there in the wilderness I can speak tenderly to her. For they disciplined us, the author of Hebrews says, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Oh, Brooks says, but God will make afflictions, the conduit pipes through which he will convey more of himself and more of his holiness to his children's souls. Do you believe this? Let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance so that we may receive the prize. Let us run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned the shame. When the wind seems the hardest, when your patterns of life don't change, but your circumstances do, pray with an uncensored heart to your Savior because he knows your secrets. He delights in you. He has delivered you. Haven't you seen this? And he wants to drive those promises deep. Listen, as your pastor, I cannot say this any clearer. We need to be a people who pray with uncensored hearts. We need to be a people who pray. We need to be a people who pray because it is the fruit of knowing that we understand the gospel. And we don't have to protect our words before our Father because he already knows them anyway. We just need to cry out to him. And yes, like Bob Wilson, it's okay to be angry at him and it's okay to say things right to his face. He can take it. 
He might say to you, I wouldn't make a habit of this. But he wants to hear. Commit now all your griefs, John Wesley wrote in his great hymn in the 1730s. Far, far above your thoughts, his counsel shall appear. When fully he the work has wrought that caused you needless fear, leave his sovereign sway to choose and to command. With wonder filled, then you shall own how wise and how strong is his ever-present hand. Amen. Father, we pray that you will help us to pray as a people with uncensored hearts. That you would help us or to cry out to you. Just as the psalmist says in Psalm 44, Lord, awake, come to our aid because you delight to hear the cries of your children. Father, remind us that the things that we feel, they are real. But sometimes, Father, it is impossible for us to know what advantage they are for our lives. But you tell us, Never will you afflict us in a way that is not advantageous for your glory and for our souls. So help us to trust in that. And help us now to run to your table as people who need to be nourished. Thank you, Father, that you give us in the Psalms, Psalms of joy and of praise. You give us Psalms of lament where we can pray our fears and our tears and our concerns because you are ever-present and you intend to change us. Thank you that you are with us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.